I'm like, eh, nobody's going to listen to that. But, uh, <clears throat> all right, you can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> you know, I can't believe that it's already 2023. Can you believe that? I can't. 2022 just seemed to fly by. And, uh, you know, this time of the year, this being a new year, it's it's an opportunity to, you know, really take a step back and examine what's went on the last year and just kind of take inventory of your life, uh, both physically, spiritually, all those things, and uh, to really do kind of a, a review and a rewind. Then also look to this upcoming year to kind of see, you know, what things you might want to change. I want to do better. <clears throat> you know, we commonly refer to those as New Year's resolutions, right? In fact, our brother preached about that this morning, you know, making some spiritual resolutions. And, you know, and it's, it's my hope to make a resolution like that that he preached about this morning. You know, but I don't know about you, but I have an awful track record with keeping New Year's resolutions. I mean, horrible. I mean, as you can see, I'm a guy that's, you know, slightly heavier, slightly, just slightly heavier. And so, you know, a lot of my New Year's resolutions always go back to, you know, trying to get healthy, work out, you know, do that, do that sort of thing, try to lose some weight. And, uh, you know, it really started back probably my young teenage years. And I remember, you know, my parents are here. I remember back in the day when I was early teenage years, and they also kind of had a resolution. I don't know if it was the beginning of the year or not. I don't remember exactly the timing of it. But, you know, they had this uh, resolution that they were going to get in shape too. And, of course, I was coming along for the ride, you know. And we went to this place called Bally, Scandinavia. Anybody remember that place? It was real popular in the early 90s. You know, there were these huge workout facilities everywhere. You know, Bally is real big. And we went to this one uh, that was close to us, and remember we took the tour, you know, and the salesman comes out, you know, they're trying to get you, and before you know, we walked out of there with a family membership, you know, yearly family membership, and at the time, you know, um, like I said, I was my early teenage years, I believe, am, am I, I think I'm correct in that, but, uh, you know, my mom was working uh, in the first shift. My dad was working second shift. And so I went with my mom and we went and worked out and my dad would go during the morning. And, uh, you know, we did that faithfully for a while. And we could, you know, we could start seeing some results. And matter of fact, I remember my dad, you know, he would get on one of those pedal machines. You know, not, not the ones that look like bicycles, but the ones that are like sit down low and you sit in the seat and the pedals are in the front of you. And my dad, believe it or not, would sit in that thing for hours. Just penalty, wouldn't you, Dan? For hours he would sit there <clears throat> before work. And, you know, he started to, to notice a difference. And, and I believed him because back in the day, man, my dad could outwalk anybody that I knew. He could just keep going. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we saw results in it. But you know what happened? Eventually kind of got tired of going. Other things got in the way before you know it. We didn't step another foot in the door of Valley Scandinavian again. And I don't know how many years my parents paid for that yearly membership, but I think it was, yeah, they were gone. <clears throat> they, they were gone. <clears throat> and I remember when the one, uh, the, the one location that we went to closed, we, he still kept it because there was one somewhere, 
in the area that we could go to. And we had that option, but we never did, never went. <clears throat> now, fast forward some years, when I had graduated and I was working and I was living at home, well, you know, another new year came. And I thought, you know what, this year, New Year's resolution, I'm going to get in shape. And there was a FitWorks. I was right up there on Kemper and Winton. Matter of fact, it might even have been the same location that that Bally's was at. I'm not sure. But anyway, I went up there and, of course, went through the tour, and I joined up. And, you know, for a while I went there faithfully after work because it wasn't that far. And, you know, I started to see results. But then again, stuff got in the way, got tired of going. And before you know it, never step foot again if it works. Guess what? If it works, it's closed. Matter of fact, I don't think there's anything there in that location anymore. Now, fast forward a few more years after that, and guess what? There was a Gold's Gym that opened up on Coleraine Avenue. And that was back when I was close to uh, your son, Sean Green. And together, we were going to join this gym. We were going to work out. They had a basketball court. We were going to play basketball, you know, and we are going to work out. And, you know, two buddies, you're going to be able to, Keep each other motivated and going. Well, it wasn't long until Sean Green stopped going and canceled his membership. Then I was going by myself for a little bit, but then guess what? Started getting tired of going. Other things got in the way. Guess what? Stopped going to the gym, and now there's no gold gym <laughs> anymore. It's empty. <clears throat> so apparently I'm not the only one that has problems keeping these because every single one of these gyms is closed. And gone. <clears throat> but then even beyond that, you know the YMCA up here on Wind Road? I've been a member there. In fact, Brother Jeff Brown and I joined that YMCA up there because we were going to play racquetball. To have fun, but also get some exercise. You know, a good way to get some exercise. That lasted a little while. And you know what? I'm not a member of the YMCA anymore. And so... I just really look at my track record and find out that I'm really bad at keeping resolutions. And so tonight, I'm not going to talk about making a resolution. You know, uh, Brother Evan already did that wonderfully this morning, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not very good about keeping resolutions. But what I'm going to talk about is something that is important that I want us to review and, and, and want us to think about how we would like this particular thing to to. Uh, come into play this coming year, but not in the form maybe of a, of a resolution, but just, you know, in a simple prayer to the Lord to help us as best we can. And what I want to talk about tonight is our homes. Because brothers and sisters, our homes are important. And, you know, I would, I would even maybe go as far as to say that our homes are just as important in, in a different way albeit, but just as important as this church. And, and don't get me wrong, I know the church is the bride of Christ and everything, but, you know, the, the start of a home is a, a man and a woman coming together, right? And what does the Bible say? That a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So that shows the importance of the, the marriage, the importance of the beginning of a home. <clears throat> you see, the church here, this is our stronghold, Right? Because when we come here, and I know the church is not the building, it's us coming together. But when we come together like this, 
We can strengthen one another. We can lift each other up. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do. And, and here, <clears throat> iron sharpens iron, right? That's what the Bible says. And so here, it's really easy, or <clears throat> I should say a lot easier, to stand up for the Lord when we're here, right? We're here and we're together because we can help one another to do that. And as a matter of fact, the Bible's talking about the church. The church is our stronghold, but it should be a stronghold on the move, a stronghold on the attack, because the Bible says that the gates of hell should not prevail against the Lord's church. So it should be Satan's stronghold that has trouble holding us back, right? <clears throat> and so with the church being this you know, powerful kind of, uh, of, of people, and how we can lift each other up, I don't think we have to worry so much about Satan coming at us from the front doors and attacking us head on. You know, think about you know, the, the, the great uh, kingdom of Rome. It wasn't an outside force that was going to be able to overtake Rome and destroy Rome. They were far too powerful for that. But Rome was destroyed from the inside. And you see, the the, the door that Satan is looking for, it's not that door out in the foyer. It's not that uh, glass door out there. Because, you know, together, we have a lot more of a, of a fight to be able to put up. But the home or the, the, the door that Satan is going to be looking for is our homes. You see, our individual homes are the door to this church. And if Satan can get into our homes and destroy our homes and bring sin into our homes, then we will bring that destruction and that sin into this church and can destroy this church from the inside out. So our homes are extremely important. And so what I want to do tonight is talk about two men in the Bible that led their homes in two completely different paths. The first man I want to talk about is found in Judges chapter 17. I'll give you a moment to get over there because we're going to read a little bit. <clears throat> but this man is named Micah. And I, I preached a message a while back. I mean, I know I don't preach a whole lot of messages, but uh, one of my messages was actually on the Levitical priest that Micah hired and how he sold out for 10 shekels in his shirt, uh, sold out the Lord. But tonight we're going to focus on, on Micah and his family. You see, when we come to Judges chapter 17, we're introduced to Micah in a very odd, odd way. There's a very odd thing going on right here. Let's read it. It says, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Again, very odd situation going on here. Here we find out that this man, Micah, had stolen 1,100 shekels of silver from his own mother. <clears throat> And you can kind of maybe read between the lines here and get the idea that I think maybe she knew that he had taken it because she cursed the person who took it, but made sure that she did it within earshot of her son. 
She wanted her son to hear this curse that she placed upon the person who took this silver. And it had the desired effect if that was the case because, you know, it really uh, really bothered him, this curse, and to the point where he, you know, he didn't exactly repent, but he, he fessed up to what he did. He told his mom, I, I took it. <clears throat> now, I, as a father, I can kind of understand maybe where she was coming from. I can't see this about having a grown, grown man, you know, my grown son doing this. But, you know, if I found out my kid did something wrong and I kind of said something, and with that, you know, it made them feel bad enough to where they came forward and admit it, then it would maybe feel feel good about, you know, at least my kids, you know, feel some kind of remorse for what they did. Because I thought it was really strange how she responded and saying, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Now, if I ever stole money from my mom, even if I fessed up to it, I don't think those would be the exact words coming out of her mouth. And I don't think she would sit there and turn around and give it right back to me. I think I got a, a slap to the mouth or something like that if I did that to my mom. But Anyhow, this lady, you know, again, just a strange set of circumstances here. But, uh, you know, he fesses up to it. She says, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And then she says, and again, this takes you to the spiritual wickedness of the people at this time, because she says, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hands for my son to do what? to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, what you'll read later on in this chapter is that this was happening during a time where, you know, every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. So it's either, you know, before the judges began or between some of the judges when we know that every time one of the judges died, that the children of Israel go right back to doing whatever they wanted to do. So it was during that time. And we see his mother here thinking that, you know, she was doing something great. She was dedicating something to the Lord by making a graven and a molten image from this silver. Now, expressly going against the commands of the Lord to, you know, have no other gods before me, to not make any graven images. And as we continue on here in verse 4, he says, yet he restored the money unto his mother. Now, again, you can read between the lines and possibly Micah even thought that man, this, ain't, this, this isn't right to make these graven and molten images because it says yet. Almost like, well, despite what you want to do with this, it, it is your money and so I'm going to give it back to you. So, you know, possibly he was against what his mom wanted to do, but it, nonetheless, he restored the money. And so she took the 200 shekels of silver, gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had an house of gods, who made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So regardless of how he felt when his mom first told him about this, when those images actually got back from the founder and he received that graven and molten image, we see that he completely opened his arms to the whole idea of having these images. Because not only did he have these images, but he went on to uh, take one of his sons and, you know, consecrate him to be his priest. He was essentially having a, a, a sanctuary, a sanctuary in his own home, a church in his own home. Now, 
in a sense, had he, had he not gone astray with the, with the idols and things, you, you can almost think about this like, you know, if you were living for the Lord in this time, okay, if you were truly living for God in this time, I'm sure you would have a hard time finding a real place to worship, right? In, in spirit and in truth. Because everybody else was doing what was right in their own eyes. So who knows what the, the house of God actually was like? So, so maybe you, you wouldn't be wrong to maybe in your own home try to worship God and, and you know, maybe have somebody come and, and preach. I mean, we see that happening with missionaries, right? And sometimes even in, in the United States we see that happening when there's not a good place to go worship. But we know he had, you know, a strayed from anything right when the images were involved. But anyhow, he, he consecrates his son to be his priest. He's even got the priestly garments. I mean, he gets an ephod. And then it talks here about this. Um, uh, let me see the word here. <clears throat> uh, the teraphim. And I looked that up, and that is actually like a, a family idol that you would put in like an altar in your house. And so he had all these things, trying again to, to make a, well, he did. He made a house of gods in his own home. <clears throat> now, what this makes me think of is 2 Timothy 3.5, where Micah had, you know, a form of godliness. I mean, he had a priest. As a matter of fact, later on, what we see and, and kind of what I, I preached about before was there's this young man who was a Levite who was sojourning in the area, and he comes across uh, this man, and uh, he eventually hires this man to be his priest. And so now he no longer has his son as a priest, but he actually has a Levite. Now, he was so uh, proud of himself with that, he says at the end of uh, chapter 17, it says, uh, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. You see, he had the, the right type of priest, a Levite, that, that, that was who was the priest, but uh, this was not a man that was uh, doing what the Lord had called him to do. He was doing this uh, for money. And, and obviously, in this house of these gods and, and idols, he was not preaching a good message. <clears throat> so he had this form of godliness. He had a, a, a Levite for a priest. The, the priest had these... Uh, this apparel that they were supposed to wear, this ephod. But when you continue on in 2 Timothy 3, 5, it says, but denying the power thereof. And that is exactly what Micah was doing. Because by um, having these idols instead of the Lord, the one true God of Israel, he was denying that God. He was denying the God of Israel. <clears throat> he was instead spending his time worshiping these idols teaching his sons to worship these idols, his mother in the house, no doubt his wife in the house. They were worshiping the, these idols, denying the power of the one true God that had delivered them time and time again. <clears throat> and that verse goes on to say, from such, turn away. And what eventually happens here? <clears throat> well, as time goes by, there's some people of the tribe of Dan that, that come through the area. And they, they pass by Micah's house and they 
hear this young man. And they recognize his voice and they call out to him. And the Danites at this time, they were still trying to find their inheritance. And they were on their way to uh, try to take over some land. And they, they asked this young man, well, where should we go? And they, they asked him to inquire of the Lord. And I think it's interesting the fact that um, it gives no indication that he ever prayed or did anything of that nature. He immediately gives them an answer that the Lord is with them basically the way that they're going. And sure enough, they, they keep going forward. They have an easy victory, get a, a bit of land. And so, you know, now naturally they think that this man is, you know, a great priest. He went to the Lord on their behalf, gave them great advice, direction on where to go. And so they eventually turn back around and come back to this priest. And they basically say, hey, it would be better to be the priest of one man in his home or the priest of a whole tribe. Now, this man, he's looking for opportunity, right? And so why settle for 10 shekels in a shirt from Micah when you can be the priest over an entire tribe of Israel? I mean, I can see dollar signs going off, ching, 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 you know. I mean, just the opportunity, the, the, the power that he would have, you know, being the priest over a whole tribe of Israel, and he goes. And, and you know, the, the funny thing is, it says in chapter 17 that this young man was like a son. To Micah. Micah brought him into his home, treated him as his son, you know, took care of him. But boy, as soon as that opportunity came, he was gone. And guess what was gone with him? The Danites took everything. They took all those molten images. They, they took everything. <clears throat> and as I read that, that uh, really comes to mind, uh, or makes me come to mind Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Let's go over there real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive you know, to me, this is almost the very definition of, uh, you know, kind of being blown away with every wind of doctrine. You know, it's, again, as soon as a better opportunity arose, that priest was gone. You know, he saw money signed, he saw whatever, but he was gone at this greater opportunity. And it's because he wasn't rooted in Jesus Christ. He wasn't rooted in the God of Israel. He wasn't rooted to truth. He knew he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, what God had commanded about, you know, the, the role of the priest and where the priest should be. It shouldn't be in some random guy's house, you know, being a priest. He was supposed to be a priest in the house of the Lord. But here he was. And so as soon as this opportunity came, as soon as the opportunity blew, he was gone. And then those images that they were worshiping, those images that they had, well, they were taken up right with him. Why? Because they were just objects. They weren't true gods. They couldn't do anything to stop the Danites from just picking them up and taking them on. You know, again, the, the, the wind blowing and people coming to deceive. 
And see, brothers and sisters, if we're not rooted in truth, then we can easily be deceived ourselves. And with us, our homes. And Micah was deceived. This young man was deceived. The Danites were deceived. You know, they were buying into a false religion, a religion of their own making. Now the second home. The second home is led by a man named Obed-Edom. Now our pastor just recently talked about this man when he was preaching about David and how he brought the Ark of the Covenant, or was trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David. And remember, he had them take the Ark of the Covenant by a cart or a carriage and have it led by by the, the ox, I believe, and as it was going through the streets, you know, it maybe hit a bump and uh, Uzzah was, you know, right next to the ark and he just reached out to stop the ark from falling. You know, something that you would think would be completely innocent and, 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 and not worthy of any punishment. But as soon as he touched the ark, the Lord took his life. And it all came down to David because David knew that he was not supposed to carry the ark by a cart or a carriage. There was a a certain way that God had commanded for the ark to be transported. And he didn't listen to that. Did things his own way. And it caused the death of Uzzah. And so that that party, that that great atmosphere of the ark of the covenant being brought to the city of David, it quickly was shut down. And the joy turned to sorrow and to mourning of a death. And, and David all of a sudden didn't want the Ark of the Covenant to come to the city of David. Didn't want it near his house. So what did he do? He found this man, Obed-Edom, and put it in his house. Now, brothers and sisters, think about this for a minute. If you're Obed-Edom, you had literally just saw a man lose his life for touching the Ark. As a matter of fact, not just touching it, trying to stop it from falling. Lost his life like that. Then I'm sure he remembered the fact that the ark was just with the Philistines. Remember that? And the Philistines didn't fare too well with the ark in their cities. I mean, we find out, I mean, not only did, you know, their idol, Dagon, not only was it destroyed, but as they moved it from city to city, we find out there was destruction in the cities. The Philistines uh, contracted emrods, which are, very painful tumors all over their bodies. And it was just a horrible scene, so much so that they loaded the ark up in the cart and put some animals on it and just said, let it go. <laughs> and let it go back to where it's supposed to go. And, uh, you know, if, if it goes to Israel, then we know it was uh, the Lord God of Israel that brought all this upon us. If it goes somewhere else, then we know it just, eh, it just happenstance that it happened. Well, those animals took right off for the children of Israel. Fortunately, the bad news doesn't stop there, though, because the first city it went to was the city of Beth Shemesh, if I'm saying that correctly. It was the closest city of the children of Israel, and that's where the ark went. Well, they had this great celebration that the ark was back, but then you had some men there that decided they wanted to look inside. And the Bible says that the men of Beshemeth, they were 
killed. We're looking, and, and in total, and, and there's a question whether this is all the men of Beth Shemesh that were killed or if it's a combination of those men plus the Philistines that had died. It's kind of open, but either way, the result was 50,070 people who died. If I'm Obed-Edom and I'm thinking about this stuff, I'm pretty afraid that the ark is coming in my house. Especially if Obed-Edom was like me and had two little girls. Okay? Now, Aubrey gets into her fair share of things, but my little one, Avery, I love her to death because that girl was crazy. And she gets into everything. I mean everything. And so I would be scared to death that my little Avery would try to get into that ark, not only try to look inside it, but crawl inside, play around with it. And man, I would just be worried to death as a father. And I know what happened to Uzzah. You know, you can maybe kind of play off, not think about the Philistines, because you know, they're obviously not the people of God. But then you had the people of Bethshemesh that looked inside, and God didn't take kindly to that. God didn't take kindly to Uzzah trying to stop the ark from falling. I would be scared to death to have that in my house. But then think about this, too. The ark of the covenant was the literal presence of God, Right? literal presence of God. Brothers and sisters, what would we think today if God showed up at our front door, at our house and said, and, and the ark ended up being with Obed-Edom in his house for three months. What if God knocked on your door? You open it like, oh, hello, Lord. <laughs> what are you doing here? Well, I'm going to stay with you for three months. Well, would that change anything in your home? Would that cause us to maybe not watch something that we usually watch? Maybe not listen to something that we usually listen to? Maybe not do something that, you know, sometimes we might do or, or do something that we maybe have trouble with doing that we know we should, you know? Maybe we all of a sudden find that prayer closet. <laughs> in our house, you know, because God's here. <clears throat> Would that change something in our day-to-day, at our home, if if God literally stepped foot in our house and stayed three months in our living room or a spare bedroom, if you have that? Now, if we could say yes to any of that, then obviously we've got some things that we need to, to get right with the Lord. There, there shouldn't be anything like that, <clears throat> but it does happen. And so thinking about Obed-Edom, I'm like, man, I, not only am I going to have this ark that, you know, God is very protective over, the least touch could cause my death, but, man, this is the presence of God in my house. <clears throat> now, the truth of the matter is, we don't see him, but the presence of God is in our house every day. The presence of God is in our, 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 our bodies as the Holy Spirit every day. You know, but our problem is it's out of sight, out of mind. We don't, we don't think about it. We haven't seen him physically with our eyes uh, just by faith. And so we don't think about the fact that he's there. But that should sober us as we live and as we uh, find ourselves involved in sin. <clears throat> but what we uh, at least don't see here is we don't see any indication that Obed-Edom 
you know, gave any, you know, backlash about, oh, you know, hey, David, you know, he's king. You can't say a whole lot, but they, they were, my neighbor over here, you know, he really, I think he'd really do good with having the ark, man. You know, you don't get anything like that. <clears throat> but what you do see is that for that three months, that the house of Obed-Edom was blessed. And it was blessed greatly. And every one of his household was blessed. And a matter of fact, it, it, it was so much of a blessing that his neighbors saw it. And again, so much of a blessing that word eventually got back to David. and said, hey, look, man, you got to see this. Obed-Edom and his house, man, he has been blessed mightily by having the presence of God. And it so much impressed David as far as how he was being blessed that, you know, this mourning over the death of Uzzah, and, and, and I'm sure some, some regret on his part, knowing that he is the reason that Uzzah died, and, and the fear that he had, because again, he immediately stopped the procession to, to, to bring the ark to him. All that subsided when he saw how the presence of God was blessing the home of Obed-Edom. So much so that he wanted to have that blessing of the presence of God in his home, in his city. <clears throat> now, you, you may be thinking to yourself, well, obviously I'm not like Micah. I don't have idols sitting in my house. I don't have my own priest. You know, I don't think anybody here does have either one of those things. But we know that anything that we put before God is an idol in our lives. Anything. You know, speaking personally, I would say sleep is one of my idols. If my wife was here, she would say amen to that. But sleep, you know, I work from home. So it's real easy to just sleep as long as I can, roll right out of bed, roll right into my office and get to work, right? But you know that morning time is a great time to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in, you know, some Bible study because nobody else is up. My wife's gone to work. It's a great time. But, you know, too often I allow my sleep to take precedence. And when it does, then my sleep is my idol. I might as well have a, a, a God that's like this, you know, in the midst of a yawn hanging up on my wall. And worship it because it's doing the same thing. It's, it's my idol. It's put in, been put in place of the things that I should do for the Lord. And, and maybe for you, it's not sleep. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's whatever. It's work. It's, it's uh, TV. It's your phone. It's family. It's w whatever we put in place of doing what we should be doing for the Lord is an idol. So we could be guilty of having those same kind of idols in our home as Micah. <clears throat> And, you know, as far as having your own kind of like house of, of God's, or your own church house, well, you know, you hate to say it, but we all know people that are not faithful to the house of God. Now, granted, and, and this is kind of always a caveat that, you know, preachers give when they talk about this, there are times when you are hindered from coming. And there's times where it's probably in the best that, that you don't uh, come. There's reasons for that. And I, I, I believe the, the, the Lord allows for things of that nature because we are human, we're flesh, we get ill, those types of things. But we all know that there are people that are not here 
that could be. And when you're doing that, you're essentially making your home your church. Because you choose to go there or or anywhere else it may be instead of being in the house of God where you should be. So we can find ourselves just as guilty as Micah without, you know, the same exact things as him in our house. And so tonight, you know, the, the question is, where is our homes tonight? Where's our homes? Do, do we have those idols? And, and I really am praying that in this coming year that, you know, my home could be more like the home of Obed-Edom. You know, I, I want my home to be blessed. I want my home to be a place where the presence of the Lord is. Because what I want, you know, I have two young kids. And what I want is I want them to grow up. And when they get old enough to say, I want my home to be like the home of my mom and dad. I want my home to be filled with the presence of the Lord. I want my home to be blessed. And so when they go looking for a a husband, that they'll find a husband that has the presence of the Lord on him and that would want to lead his home in having the presence of the Lord because I want them to see that in our home as they grow up. And I know that I have failed in that more times than not. So I'm going to ask the Lord, you know, this year to really help me and my wife to, to really just try to open it up for the presence of the Lord. And, and I pray that you all will do the same and, and have that hope. And again, I, I don't want to put another resolution on everybody. But all we really need to do is just humbly pray and ask the Lord to, Help us to get there. You know, I, you know, I can, like I said, I, I can make resolutions and I, I failed miserably at them, you know, and I can't change things. I, I can't make myself more spiritual. All I can do is step out of the way and ask the Lord to help me grow spiritually. But I have to step out of the way to do that. <clears throat> so let us all... Strive to have a home like Obed-Edom. And you know, if we do that, the blessings are going to be poured out. And it doesn't always mean it's going to be monetarily speaking. It doesn't always mean we're going to, oh, we're just going to have great health so we never have to go to the doctor or hospital again. Yeah, that's, that's not what it is. Blessings come in all shapes and sizes, right? Um, but we do know from this example that blessings will be poured out upon our homes. And so much so that our neighbors will see it. And see, when our neighbors see it, then they're like, man, that's some great things going on at your house. What's going on, man? And guess what? That door's open. And then not only that, but, you know, David was a fellow believer, and he saw the blessings on Obed-Edom, and he wanted a part in that to say, I, I want the presence of God too now. <clears throat> you know, and not only that, but when he did it, he did it the right way the next time. He got the priests to go and, and carry it on the staves on their shoulder like he was supposed to the first time. But he forgot about all that fear. He forgot about all that and what happened the first time because he saw the blessings that was coming upon Obed-Edom's home. And he said, I want a part of that. 
And so not only will our blessings be visible to the lost world, which will open doors for us to be examples and witnesses to them, but it will also encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ that maybe don't quite have the presence of the Lord in their home. They'll say, man, the Lord is really a blessing, Brother Green, in his home. Brother Green, how can I get the blessing? How can I get the blessings that you have? How can I have the presence that you have? Well, share that with me, brother. That can happen. You know? So let's all strive. Again, I'll finish with this. Let's all strive to have a home like Obed Edom in 2023 and beyond. All right. We can go ahead and stand, brother. Come. And thank you all. What are we singing, brother? Number 130, Basics to Grace.